Third Space Safety Podcast aims to explore important issues in the peripheries of clinical medicine in Singapore today. This is your host, Enhui. As part of our series on the mega humanities, we've invited guests from all over the country, ranging from academics to practitioners and to people who have done the mega humanities even before it had a name. Welcome back to the second part of our interview with Dr. Dev Anand, the director of the Sing Health Mega Humanities Program. In the first part of our interview, Dr. Dev shares how the medical humanities can and have already shaped the practice of medicine in Singapore, as well as upcoming programs to instill in healthcare professionals a deeper understanding of illness as opposed to disease. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the episode, we highly recommend that you take a listen to our first part before moving on to the second part of our interview. In this second part of our interview, Dr. Dev also discusses how the medical humanities can grow further in Singapore. Along the way, Dr. Dev shares his insights into the value of narrative medicine and the implications of defensive medicine on how clinicians approach their work today. At the end of the interview, Dr. Dev also shares what his favourite books are and how they have impacted on his way of thinking. And I wanted to ask you a bit about whether you think that there's this tension in the development of the medical humanities because on one hand, you want it to grow really quickly and be accepted widespread just like how many other changes happen in medicine on a scientific front. But on the other hand, this cultural shift kind of takes really long um, in terms of changing the hearts and minds of people and actually convincing and persuading them that the mega humanities is something that is integral to the practice of medicine. So yeah, I was wondering if you do feel this kind of tension and if so, how do you really like resolve it? Well, everyone will come. I mean, when we ran our first medical humanities symposium in, uh, in uh, SGH, everybody from all the medical schools came uh, and we filled the room. I mean, I, I told you before, we don't have difficulty filling the room. Um, so um, then the, the, the other opportunity is there is obviously because it's such a broad area, there is so many things that we can do with it. And because uh, in many ways, the rise of artificial intelligence and computing is going to fuel the need for human connection even more than ever before. So um, the, 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 the most successful model for future of medicine is not going to be one with just computing. And it's that's not going to be uh, one where we talk to patients, but it's going to be one where you combine the two things. And if you can combine the two things in a very um, uh, empathetic, in a very you know, in a way that touches uh, your patients, you're going to be you're going to be unbelievably successful. I mean, so so in, in many ways, the 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 best things about uh, the iPhone is how easy it is to use and how user friendly it is. The best things about the, the, uh, a MacBook is its interface, not so much its computing power. So in many ways, uh, if in medicine, if you can get that interface, if you can get that human interface right, uh, what you put inside at, at, at the back end is something that's, that's already being, there's already a huge amount of work that's going to be put in. So uh, what the humanities are about is, is self-evident. I mean, if you look at, at COVID, right, the vast majority of what's being pushed out has got nothing to do with science. 
I mean, most of what we're doing, I mean, our response is either to hide in, hide for people to hide in their homes or for us to go and test people and isolate them. Uh, you know, but there's so much around it about communicating with people, encouraging, you know, how, how to get people to wear masks, how to, how to get people to stay at home, how to uh, look after healthcare workers, how to redeploy people in the hospitals to run things like Expo. Uh, and all, all of these things uh, require human elements that, you know, that has nothing to do with virology or epidemiology or, or any of the sciences. You know, all of these things are, are human endeavors. So um, in, in my mind, you know, so much of the process changes in the hospital are not have nothing to do with with uh, with the signs of COVID. It's to do with you know how we reorganize it such that we um, we communicate with people and tell them why they need to 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 declare where they've been and how we can contact trace them and we communicate with them how we communicate with them compassionately while we are all dressed up like extraterrestrials, right? So so so. Um, so, so, so in my mind, I, I'm not sure what, what, what it is that we need to convince people of because, because it, it, it seems so self-evident, uh, the, the, the value of what we're doing. So I was wondering when we introduce the medical humanities to be rooted in such problems like burnout, do we risk ignoring the larger systemic phenomena that lead to these problems to begin with. So, for instance, on the issue of burnout, it could be a staffing issue or it could be the or it could be an issue of the hierarchical nature of the medical fraternity. And if we use the humanities to alleviate these problems, we're not really solving the root causes of the problems to begin with. So is this a concern of yours or a consideration. I mean, again, there, there are there are probably many many reasons for the challenges that we face. I mean, if we talk about burnout, and burnout is a system is it can be a systems wide problem, like you say, uh, linked to, to not only manpower issues, but also how we deploy manpower and how we run calls and how we run uh, and the hours that we keep and the responsibilities that we give people and supervision structures and so on. Um, and, and that's all true. Um, but if, if you take a historical perspective of things, um, the manpower that is currently uh, being deployed in medicine um, is far greater than it ever was, at, at least in the local context. Right, the, the the amount of supervision and the help that people and the front lines get is far more than ever before, right? Um, yet, this the whole sense of burnout is never been has never been greater, and I, I think that's where uh, I think some of the value of the humanities comes in. So, uh, just because we we talk about the humanities being about Things like finding meaning in work, uh, and then engaging with your emotions, and not being socially isolated or professionally isolated, uh, which is the things that we do in humanities in time to deal with burnout. That doesn't mean that we are ignoring the system-wide problem. And in fact, um, 
there are there's a systems approach to this and there are people working on it and that's great but uh, I think the humanities can work in parallel with with uh, with these systems wide approaches um, at the end of the day uh, you know you will realize that there's no there's no problem there's no problem that is solvable with just one approach I mean Really, in healthcare, especially if you want to make a big impact, right? You need to have a multi-dimensional approach, or else you will eventually come come fall short. And that approach involves everything from, uh, you know, having an organizational structure to figuring out the finances, because it's not just about funding a project. You want to make it sustainable. You want it to continue after the people who started it have moved on to something else. Right, and then you want to look at the 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 science behind all of this, and to see, to to understand. I mean, science is super 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 important, and just because we're talking about humanities, it just doesn't make it less important. So you need to have all the different components in order to get a good response. Just like a a doctor in front of a patient needs to know the science of medicine and use that science to give the right treatment, but also needs to be able to uh, connect with the person in a humanistic way, and also needs to understand the social background and, and, deter and understand the social determinants of health that will affect this patient in front of them. So I, I think that, that doctor-patient interaction on a single illness is like a microcosm for what a hospital or health system interacts with population health. And in both, in both instances, you need to have a multifaceted approach. And the humanities is one facet of that. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and that's why we need interdisciplinary thought. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like the liberal arts. Um, <laughs> I was just wondering, so um, since you mentioned that the doctor-patient interaction is kind of like a microcosm of the hospital at large. How do you envision a doctor-patient interaction? Like, how would you envision like the medical humanities changing that? Because I feel like right now, um, I don't know. I, maybe it's my failure of imagination as a Singaporean. Like, I can't really uh, imagine how that would transform. And I think the truth is, it's not meant to be clear-cut as well. Is time an issue here? Because it takes time to really delve into these social economic issues, which are beyond, I refer to MSW, you know, like it becomes like an, a reflex or you just like refer MSW for all these complex issues. So do you, is, is there like any limitation to this? Like, There, there, are, there are many ways in which uh, the humanities can, um, can help you at the doctor-patient interaction level. Uh, and, but perhaps the, the one that's most easily accessible is uh, comes from narrative medicine and to and that essentially is about allowing the patient to tell their story right um, and and again you you know it sounds very simple uh, and even when I have the time and I sometimes ask the patient well so tell me what happened 
the patients are surprised because they are they are culturally accustomed to a doctor's firing question after question after them and just saying yes no yes no yes no then and, and, and so they they, they 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 feel like oh my gosh why is this guy not asking me questions you know maybe he doesn't know what to ask and not and, and so on so they are they're they used to ask me so do you have cough if you have cough what's do you have phlegm do you have phlegm what's the color of the phlegm how frequent and so so there's a, there's a sequence to this and then if i go and tell if i go and ask the patient so tell me about your cough they sometimes don't know how to construct the whole story right um so so these are these are real things um but but i have found that um that uh if you do take the effort um you you will gain great rewards um both from the scientific part from the actual diagnosis and understanding what it is and often it is the diagnostic dilemmas that you know you may want to you may want to 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 invest more of the energy in uh because uh, you know that's where uh you know the detective work will will help you um and um yeah so so i i found that encouraging the patients to tell their story and then having the patients to listen to that story in a very an attentive manner you know it's not just listening you know it's just because sometimes we we listen to the whole story and then uh after the patient has told me for 5 minutes all i write is cough for 6 months and then you know then i said well have i really i mean i could have gotten that information with a you know in in a in a flash why did i have to spend 5 minutes to 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 listen to this and i asked myself what am i what was i really listening to and then when 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 you when you when you when you when you're self reflective like that you you get you get the patient's story out slowly and then and then you you go on to the next level where you're not just listening to the story but you're listening to how they tell it and then and then you get to the point where not only are you listening to how they tell it you look at the interaction between them and the caregiver who has come and you listen to who's telling it and whose perspective it's being told from and and then and then you realize god in 5 minutes i got so much information i wouldn't even have the time to document all of it down i found that it not only does it help me become a better diagnostician it also helps me build the the, the relationship with the patient and then i i realize that i mean i don't know whether you've seen this but there are patients in the wards whom the resident or the senior resident tries for a long time to convince you know to take to to go through a particular surgery and or procedure or treatment and they're telling the pros and cons and alternatives and all the things that are that are in the guidelines but then the, then then the, the the professor comes and he says you need the surgery or you need the procedure and immediately the patient says yes and 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 and, and the answer to that question is there is a trust that is built up this is an example of how i think the humanities can can really uh, i mean i mean honestly when when you have when you have that kind of relationship with patients it is really really fun to to work in medicine it's really really fun that's why i say that of all the things i've ever done and I, or and i do the clinical practice of medicine is still the best bit of my day right and all the things that i've done outside try to it, it eventually feeds back into that interaction and that makes it enriching 
Okay, so to end off this interview, I thought it'd be a good idea if you could talk about some of your favorite books or books that you've been reading recently. Maybe you could talk about one that's medical and one which is non-medical. One of my favorite books and author um, is, uh, do you know who David Brooks is? He writes for New York Times. He's the columnist, right? Yes, he's the columnist. Okay. And he's written an, an exquisite book called uh, The Road to Character. Right. And uh, basically in, in, in this book, he describes the lives of, I think, seven different people. Um, but he uses their lives as an example, as, uh, as, exam- as exemplars of certain character traits. And, um, and I think that of all the books that have ever spoken to me, this is one of the absolute best. I mean, uh, from, from, Teaching ethics, I've always told people, it doesn't, it's nothing about the philosophy or arguing this out or you know, how, how clever I can put across a case. The ultimate teaching of ethics has to be good examples at the bedside. And when you see people doing, I mean, you always see bad examples. But I tell the students, is that the kind of doctor you want to be? Why, why are you quoting the bad examples? It doesn't matter if they're bad examples. Why, why you should look for the good examples and cling on to them. So he, he used different people in different times and he used it to describe their character. And one of the things that he talked about, which I thought was really, really uh, interesting, was he, he talked about um, the difference between uh, CV values and eulogy values. So he, say, he talked about, you know, what is important to us? Are the things that are important to us the things that we add to our CV and the things that we, we put down there and, and we, we, we parade and that's important? Or is it important, what's, what's important to us, the things that people will speak about when we die and at our eulogy? And, and, he, and, he, and he asked us, what are we, you know, between the two what do we spend uh, so much of our life and our energy in terms of pursuing? And, and, and I think that had really profound impact in the way that I thought and in, in even, even my decision to pursue the PhD was in many ways uh, shaped by, by, by some of the thoughts that, that he talked about, you know, about uh, should we just be, be be pursuing things that we put down on our CV, um, and and you know our lives should be so much bigger than you know that piece of paper that that we submit about ourselves. So I would definitely, I mean, I would, it's a great it's a great read. He's written several other books, uh, but um, uh, but I think that that's one of the best reads that I I, I can recommend. Um, in terms of Medical, or I, I wouldn't say medical. I, I'm, I'm going to say um, fiction. Um, I'm a huge fan of Gabriel Garcia Marquez, and a uh, huge, huge. Love fiction. in the time of cholera. Yeah, and so I was going to say that that was that in my mind. That there's quite a little bit of there's a bit of medicine in it, which I thought was hilariously funny, um, including the cholera pandemic or epidemic, you know, which sort of resonated with, with what what we are currently going through. I think he's a, he's a marvelous writer. And if, if, um, if you ask me to say something about Love in the Time of Cholera, I think just that title alone in my mind is a marvelous uh, example of what Gabriel Garcia Marquez can, can give us. He talks about uh, 
something horrible, which is cholera. And, and he talks about something wonderful, which is love. And he talks about them coexisting. And, and, the, and the, I thought that the incredible, uh, the, me, the, the hidden thing in, in, that, in that title was the whole idea of love sickness, where cholera being sickness. So, I, you know, I, I, I could just talk about that for, for, for over and over and over again. I mean, I, I, I've actually managed to convince my elder son to, to read it, which, which was, I, which if, you, if, you, if you know anything about dealing with 17-year-olds, it's a, it's a heroic achievement. If you enjoyed this episode, stay tuned for our three-part series with Associate Professor Graham Matthews, who is the Head of English at NTU and Coordinator for the Mega Humanities. We discuss why should we care about the mega humanities, who's who in the mega humanities, and what are some of the developments of the mega humanities in Singapore. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed our episode, please like, subscribe, and share.